You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. For someone to step in in that situation and ultimately make a decision that that was blocking the plate, that's beyond embarrassing for our game, for all the players out there on both sides of the field working their ass off for the entire game. It's completely unacceptable. I can't even believe I'm sitting here talking to you guys about this right now. It's one of the worst moments I think we've seen of umpiring in any game I've ever been a part of in baseball. And I think it was pathetic. Oh, my God. Inject that version of Rocco into my veins. Go on, sir. Please. Oh, God, it was great. Dude, I could have listened to him for three hours, light those umpires up, and light, is it New York? Where do they do the replays? New York? New York, yes, yes. Yep, New York. And they, they do it now with, so they, they have two umpires who are on cruise but are sent to the replay center for, I don't know, days or week or something, and, and it was Jordan Baker. Jordan Baker made this call. I wasn't really surprised. And Rocco, Rocco, on his way out after getting ejected, rightfully so, the most warranted ejection in the history of Rocco's managerial career. Oh, he yeah. did flip a bird. Was it a bird? Did he flip the bird? He definitely he definitely yelled "f off" without censoring himself to sort of two areas of the press box. Yeah, not at the reporters. I think it was his way of trying to say, yeah. like, "Hey, whoever's up there making right. this decision, yes. even though you're in New York, f off." F off, I loved and then it. he walked back into the I dugout. loved that meltdown. It was absolutely spot on, and it was great. It's very rare that we actually start the Monday Statements edition of the show with the buffoon of the week, but I think it, I think it's warranted here to start the show with this. Okay. I am going to read to you guys a summation of the blocking the plate rule in Major League Baseball here. And all I want, I'm going to read this, and all I want you guys to do and you guys are huge baseball fans, diehards. You're not casual baseball fans. We got a season noted season ticket holder, Declan Goff here. Okay, Judd spends more time in the Twins press box than he does with his wife. So sure. these are these aren't casual baseball fans. And she here, likes right? that, just to yep. be very clear. <laughs> <laughs> and she signs off. She yeah. actually requests yeah. that yeah. happens. She's requesting yeah. your press credential for you. <laughs> I was told, Judd, I applied. Yeah. I applied for spring training. I was told, dear Dustin, Saturday. She said, "I said, do you mind if I go?" And she says, "I want you to go. Please get out of here. Please so, leave right now." Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm going to read this to you. All I want you to do is once I read this, decipher the blocking the plate rule. In plain English, okay? Sure. Tell tell me in one sentence or two sentences, to the best of your ability, what can and can't you do? So this is – actually, you know what? Before I even read this, tell me to the yeah. best of your ability before I even read this, what can and can't you do? You can't – so the catcher, unless he has the ball in his possession, cannot block the base path. He needs to create a clear lane for the runner, and the runner – needs to do his best to avoid the catcher as to not create a collision. 
So if you if you don't have the ball yet, if the center fielder is is scooping up the ball and there's a runner bearing barreling down from third to home, I have to be in front you, of the plate. You, yeah, you can't be standing in front of the plate. I can't straddle the plate. Yeah. Okay. And if you're the runner, so if the so you you can't just barrel in. Like when can you barrel into the catcher? You can't. You right. Can't. You just can't. You can't. There's, under no circumstance can you barrel it, into the catcher. It's basically a must slide rule. I think okay. that's it. Yeah, that's right there. Which has been which has been in like Legion baseball for thirty five mm-hmm. years, yes. forever. So here's a summation from the Athletic. The second comment. This is from like I don't know a few years ago when they were recapping the the rule change from 2011 is the first time this came into the public consciousness when uh, Buster Posey got yeah. shredded on a collision at home plate, and then the rule came into effect like three years later, but. Mm-hmm. Unless the catcher is in possession of the ball, the catcher cannot block the pathway of the runner as he is attempting to score. The runner shall be declared safe if the catcher violates that provision. So, again, if you don't have the ball, you can't stand in front of the plate. Makes total sense. Get off the tracks when the train's coming through. In addition, it is not a violation if the catcher blocks the – so it is not a violation if the catcher blocks the pathway of the runner in order to field a throw – and the umpire determines that the catcher could not have fielded the ball without blocking the pathway uh, and that the contact with the runner was unavoidable. What if you get the ball and the runner is still like, you know, halfway down the third baseline? Can you move into the line then? Or do you like, so, so now I have the ball. You can move in. And he line. is 40 feet away from me. Now I can move now in front good. and he's just screwed, right? And you can just tag him. Yes. Okay. So I've watched that play 25 times yesterday. Mm-hmm. Great throw. Gary Sanchez. Before the throw is there, and it was an amazing throw from Tim Beckham in left field. My God. Uh, Buxton also had an amazing throw to third base. They almost they almost got him twice. So mm-hmm. Sanchez catches Sanchez is standing in front of the plate as the ball is arriving. The ball is kind of coming into his left a little bit because it's coming in from the left fielder. And so it's a right-handed thrower from left field. The ball is tailing to the right or to the left of Gary Sanchez toward the third baseline. He catches the ball all in one motion and puts his knee on the ground. So now he has the ball, and he's sliding in front of home plate because he has the ball. And the runner has not officially arrived yet. How in the world? I'm with Rocco. How do you reverse the call? I can see on the fly if you said, ooh, bang, bang. Ooh, I thought that was catcher's interference. Now it's 50-50. It's tough to overturn. How do you overturn that? And why is it even a rule? Like, at this point, just right. go back to the old thing. Remember- and if a catcher gets lit up once every three years, whatever, just... Stand in front of the plate if you want to stand in front of the plate and keep yourself safe. When this rule was passed in uh, 2014, and and it was solely passed because Buster Posey was really good and got hurt. And they're like, we want our good players, if they're a catcher, not to get hurt. Um, but then don't then, then Buster Posey don't stand in front of the plate. It's, then you get or to just choose. move to first base, dude. Um, yeah. But in, from 2014 on, I said this is a stupid rule because. We need to protect athletes from things that they don't need to be subjected to. For instance, in baseball, I'm mad. I'm mad because the last guy hit a home run. So I'm going to throw a 96-mile-per-hour fastball at the next guy's head. I'm an idiot. Like, that. what's that doing? That's not helping the game. And God forbid the guy gets hit by it in the head. you got real problems, okay? This rule, first of all, collisions at the plate are rare. They're not like commonplace. It's not, we don't see them. It's not, it's, when we're talking about CTE, okay, foul tips that hit catchers' helmets are a much bigger problem. That's repetitive. Yeah. Collisions at the plate aren't. Um, the other thing is, this is professional sports. 
And the most important thing in the game of baseball is to score runs. Um, this could happen in a World Series game. This could happen in a playoff game. Dude. And so I can't have two adults, you know, because to just be extremely clear, amateur baseball, this is great. Must slide is very smart. We don't need collisions there. But when you're paid millions of dollars to play a sport, and it is your livelihood, and your livelihood revolves around touching home plate, okay? You're telling me we need to be splitting hairs on this stupid of rule, on, on, on a rule that clearly, clearly is subjective and nobody understands? Why does this rule exist? And I got pushback on Twitter of, well, do you want people getting hurt to score a run? Yeah. If it needs to happen, okay. yes, I do. There's, there's two, there's, yes. So there's, there's two things to unpack here. There's the rule, which mm-hmm. let's put that aside for a second. Like the, whether the rule should be in place or not. Mm-hmm. The rule is in place. The rule was not violated yesterday. Let's start there. The rule mm-hmm. was not violated yesterday. Mm-hmm. Again, here's the rule. Unless the catcher is in possession of the ball, the catcher cannot block the pathway of the runner. So if you don't have the ball, you can't block the pathway. When the ball was in the air, Gary Sanchez was in front of the plate. As the ball was coming to him, again, coming in toward his left, taking him sort of into the baseline, the the ball was coming in, right down the baseline or just along, so he's got to catch the ball. So you can argue two different ways that he was in the right. Number one, oh, the ball is sort of taking me in this direction, and I have a right to catch the ball, so I'm clear there. But even if you don't think I'm clear there, now I have caught the ball, and as I'm catching the ball, I'm now sliding in front of the home plate with my knee, which is legal, as the runner's coming in. So unless I'm just being a homer, I saw that play twice, and according to the ridiculous rule, he was in the clear twice, which is why Rocco showed more emotion than he showed in four years here, right? But on the rule itself, what if you just said, okay, this is so ridiculous and confusing, and let me back up a step even further. If you showed that play to a casual baseball fan and said, hey, watch this cool play that just happened, and before we even show you what the what the replay booth in New York showed you, okay, so here's a runner coming home, and a ball is thrown to home plate, and the catcher catches it. What are your thoughts? And I think the person watching would say, wow, that's a perfect throw. Oh, man, look at the good job the catcher did of catching the ball, putting his leg down. Yeah, that guy's out. <laughs> yeah. At no point would anyone say, well, wait a second, that didn't look fair. Right. I don't know that that catcher should have been sliding into position where he was. It reminds me of the like the Des Bryant catch thing from 10 years ago. Okay, he catches the football, right. one foot, two foot, lunge, ball out, right? He's like full control of the ball, ball out. Right. If you didn't know the rule, nobody in America would have questioned, boy, I don't know if that was a catch. But then when you start to look at the letter of the law and over-dissecting it, you start to talk yourself and think yourself into a circle. Right. That's not what the rule should... The, the, the rules should not make you have to do five different jumps through hoops to figure out how to turn a play that was very common for 100 years in baseball into an out. And, so stupid. And where, where what transpired on Sunday serves as why the rule should be taken out, just ditched completely. Merrifield admitted postgame he purposely slid like he did because he could have gone, he could have tried to go in the backside and and, yeah. and slapped his left hand off home plate. And by the way, I think he's safe then because mm-hmm. then Sanchez is sweeping backwards. Mm-hmm. But he said, I purposely slid like that because I knew that that was going to bring that rule into question if I was out. Think about that for a second. So, so, and that's brilliant. That's smart. But again, if you're smart enough, 
If you are smart enough to say, I'm going to exploit a stupid rule that that should not be in place in a professional sport, and make no mistake, this should not be in place. This is akin to basically saying in football, a linebacker can't tackle a running back mm-hmm. too hard. Like, like you can't, you're legislating part of the game out. I agree with legislating things helmet to helmet, right? That's dangerous. We know what that is. But you never say, well, you can't tackle now. This is saying you can't tackle. This is saying um, I would much rather prefer that that play should have been this. And this is going to sound harsh, but it should have been. Merrifield should have had the right to try to blow up Sanchez off the plate because it's a bang-bang play. And if you and if you go into him, he's going to lose that ball. Mm-hmm. And it's a collision, and I'm fine with that. So I, th- I think if you could boil the rule, that what the rule is supposed to – the first part of the rule, I'm guessing, as they were negotiating it was – we can't have runners charging into catchers. Right. So the so the the, the conversation was sort of flipped around the opposite, which is yep. stop trucking catchers. The new rule is going to be you can you have to slide or or run through the plate, you, but you cannot run through the catcher or or tackle the catcher. Yep. But then somebody on the other side, rightfully so, said, "Well, wait a second here. What if a catcher is just standing in front of home plate? Mm-hmm. What am I supposed to do?" And then they said, "Okay, that's a good point. I guess if he if he has the ball, then you're just sort of out. You're just kind of screwed. Yep. But if he doesn't have the ball, then it's a violation on the catcher. Mm-hmm. But last night or yesterday, Gary Sanchez had the ball when he moved in front of home plate. Right. What is he supposed to do? Catch the ball and like move out of the way as Merrifield's coming in? So what what if we just went back and said, here's the new rule: you can't barrel into catchers. There is no other." part to this if the catcher wants to lay down in front of home plate sorry jump over him or figure it out some other way like that like if you to me that would simplify it even more than yesterday's fiasco no dex go ahead well i mean i i don't really understand it It, and it's just a crappy way to end a baseball game um and i understand you're trying to protect the catcher's safety i i get that but at the end of the day like that's how we're going to win and lose a baseball game like even if you're toronto like do you feel good about that and i i saw some blue jays fans were you know just stirring it up and like that's fandom like there's going to be some some idiots on the other side who just are going to are going to say things and get the other fan base riled up but i think it's a crap way to end a baseball game and it just i don't know it feels like classic baseball just like really this is this is how we're going to end the game this this obscure obscure rule that Phil's talking about, like as a casual fan, if someone turned the Twins game on, who maybe likes to watch a baseball game here and there, is going to watch that play and be like, "What? What do you mean that is that's how this game ends and that's catcher's interference? It's subjective Correct. and it's just BS." That's basically what it boils down to. Yep, dude, it's the catch rule in football. It's yeah. like okay, now we've we've made it so complicated. Yes. yes, it's the catch rule in football, and and it's the same thing in. Dex and I see this continually, goalie interference in hockey. Oh, yeah. No one can define yeah, it. No one Zero can. people can define And if you can't define it, you've got to rework it. But in this case, what I'm saying is I agree with making rules to protect people that don't involve – that involve unnecessary things. Throwing at batters, unnecessary. Like pitching inside is fine. But if a ball comes at a guy's head on purpose, that's a major problem, right? There are things that you can do to protect – human beings and that's fine but there comes a point in time too where where if an adult chooses to play a sport and gets paid very well to do so right i want the best competition possible and yesterday i want maryfield to have the right to jar that ball loose and i don't what's the 
okay, Gary Sanchez gets hurt. Well, that's too bad, but that's a risk of sports. Like you, you are literally taking out, you are trying to treat these guys like they are young men. You know, I got a tweet about that. What about the young men? First of all, they ain't all young. Second of all, I am not, at some point in time, we have to put the, the concern about injury aside. Pitching in, pitching in and of itself is clearly dangerous. Guys are blowing out their arms continually, right? But we don't say, well, and this is, and this is very close. If we said, we have decided in Major League Baseball, to go to a innings or pitch limit because we're going to try and protect arms. I'm going to call BS. This is professional sports. You're choosing to do this, which is great. I love it. Yeah. But th- but my problem is why why are we go- why does this rule exist because one guy got got hurt and at some point in time you have to assume risk. Like are we next going to say new rule Byron Buxton if you crash into a fence you're ejected. Or or protect trust us. We're, we're, we're protecting, protecting you, you from yourself. Yeah, I'm serious. Like I, pro- this has been my argument from the, day one. The, fen- the fence is ejected. We're removing yeah. the fence. If <laughs> no, it's got like a shock thing. Yeah. If you go color. into the fence, you're going to be severely shocked and probably hurt worse than you will be by the collision. But you'll never go into that fence again. Anyway. We'll, we'll get to twin statements here and also Viking statements on a statements Monday. But we had to start off with buffoon of the week, and it is. I guess I didn't even say who it was. The buffoon of the week is Major League Baseball and their ridiculous. Uh, blocking the plate rule that was incorrectly enforced, by the way, in that game yesterday. A shout-out to our friends real quick at Equity Partners. So Equity Partners believe the house-selling process should be 100% hassle-free, unlike some of these dumb rules in Major League Baseball. All right, It's all about providing simplicity and value for you, the homeowner, from simple fixes to remodels. When you partner with, uh, with uh, Equity Partners, they will help fix up your home before you put it on the market. And then, and this might be the best benefit, you can move before you sell. You can put offers in on your next home, non-contingent on the sale of yours while getting great value with the fix-ups for your current home. Learn more at equitypartnersmn.com or call 612-999-2244. 612-999-2244. All right, also it's lake season, Dex. It and uh, actually our guy, we had Chris Jericho on a bonus episode of uh, Mackie and Judd today. You can find that at some point here on this Monday on the Mackie and Judd podcast. He talked about his wife's from Hibbing, yep. likes to go up to the lakes up north of Minnesota. So if Chris Jericho has murky lakeside areas, mm-hmm. we got a recommendation for him. Yeah. How about Aquaside, Chris? How about uh, how about you get some a uh, little bit of the bubbly and a little bit of the Aquaside, and then you don't don't mix them together, but enjoy the bubbly on the dock while you jump into that lake that's an aquaside lake that can help you remove that nasty lake weed and algae with the aquaside pellets which by the way are safe they're registered with the epa and the dnr so they're not just some wonky pellets you're throwing into the lake that hurt the wildlife or hurt the fish in there no they're safe products that are both registered with the epa and the dnr you can stop in the metro at white bear lake to go see them or you can order online at aquaside.com aquaside pellets aquaside.com to learn more all right judd lead us off here Statements Monday. All right. All right. My first statement is this. There we go. All right. Awesome. TNT, a little hockey theme song. Nice. You done good. Off of the controversy that, that we just discussed, which is a rule that's terrible, and by the way, very much could have taught, have cost the Twins because uh, they are now going into Monday's action, and they're off Monday, Thursday this week. Only a game up on Cleveland, and I think two up on the White Sox. You done good, Rocco. Uh, I want to talk about what Rocco did, not in the vacuum of one game. Um, 
I feel like Rocco, and look, this might be, I'm sure that there are some who are go- going to, to say, Judd, you're not serious here, but I am. Um, sports has an emotional emotional tie to it. There's no question about that. And I think players can be galvanized by things. And I think what Rocco did in going absolutely ballistic and then providing a presser in which he dropped uh, F-bombs, like, like this was not normal. This was him. This was This was him. We finally saw him. It was great. Um, but I think that this is going to galvanize and become a rallying cry. I think that this might be Rocco's 2019 Aaron Boone, my guys are effing savages. My guys are effing savages, and you're costing us right now. I think this might be it. I don't know what the T-shirt is here, boys. but <laughs> It worked out but, really well for the Yankees that year. But... Uh, well, I mean, they beat the Twins in the first round in three games. But anyway, the point is, I think that this is going to help the Twins. I think it's going to be a rallying cry. And and as stupid as this might seem, Phil, you've uh, seen this too. It doesn't take a lot to create a very, uh, very cohesive us-against-them mentality. Like, that's what players want. They're looking for that, right? And Rocco's got that now. So I actually believe long run this whole thing as as – tough of a way as it was to lose that game, might benefit the Twins and Rocco. And I think that Rocco gained immeasurable respect in that clubhouse yesterday through his actions. I would even say, I'm in lockstep with Judd too, because my first statement was bravo Rocco. Um, And to Judd's point, I I agree. I think this is kind of a turning point of the perception of him. Like, And I don't believe it was just yesterday's catcher's interference rule in this pie chart, if you will, of Rocco turning the table. I I think it's pent-up frustration of losing a lot last year. It's pent-up frustration of the front office waiting at the last possible minute to get arms at the deadline. Um, this is this is in the whole stew good. of everything. Like it really is. R- Rocco, we we've criticized him for being a puppet. We play an Elmo sounder after him because Rocco is not just a rock. Like we we've, we've criticized him sometimes before. I think he's only been ejected seven times, right, in three years as a manager. Like the dude, he's very cool, cool, calm, collected. Hey, come in when you want. Take a nap when you want. Here's some robes. Here's like this laid back attitude. And you know what? With some people in in the younger generation my age and even younger, that that's needed. There's some coddling that happens for better or worse. But yesterday, I think that was a accumulation of everything that has been going wrong with the Twins. And he's pissed off. He's barely holding on to this division lead. The umpire gives the Blue Jays a game. I think yesterday was a turning point in the perception of Rocco Baldelli as the Twins manager. Yeah, I... Uh... I, I like it. This is I, I like seeing a less suppressed version of him. And listen, we had bones to pick with Garden Hire throughout the years too, in the way that he went about just tactical things and bullpen and lineup construction. And so I, I don't want to sit here and say, yeah, just because you show Guardy level emotion means right. that now the team's going to perform. You know, there's there's more. I, I think baseball is is probably the least served in terms of uh, the success you can have as a team. It's the least served by emotion. It's, if you get over-emotional, it can cause you to swing and miss at pitches that you wouldn't otherwise offer at. So I don't, I don't want them to now be playing with a bunch of emotion that they weren't playing with before. It's got to be controlled. But, yeah, maybe there is a little a little uh, us-against-the-world mentality they can sort of tap into after this. I think the difference is this, though. With Guardy, it, it was like, well, there he goes again, right? And that was it. With Rocco, we had never I mean, Mount Rocco erupted. Yeah, that's great. That volcano had been dormant for forty years. I'm glad, I, and I also had. I, 
I had good for Rocco as one of my statements. So we're all kind of in the same boat here. I remember, I, I mean, I tweeted out, it, I tweeted two things. One, if this gets overturned, just light Major League Baseball on fire forever. <laughs> and then my next tweet was, if this gets overturned, Rocco needs to get ejected. And within three, he got ejected within three seconds. He said something on the top step of the dugout as he was walking out. I'm also pretty sure if you go back and watch, I think one of his assistants, Rocco must have said something to one of his assistants. Like, if this gets overturned, I am going to lose my mind. Because I'm pretty sure once it got overturned, one of his assistants patted him on the back like, here we go. <laughs> he probably did. And it was probably Tingler or something, up. right? But the, the F off, F bleep off. You. I think it was bleep you, the, bleep off. I think it I, was, it wasn't. It was, it was bleep off, bleep off. People had it wrong in the, it was bleep off. I had it wrong too. I thought it was bleep you, bleep off. But it was bleep off, bleep off. Roll the tape. We can't on this show, but I guess technically it's he, you know, we can hear him saying it. So I guess we could roll. The I'm tape, sure but. John Boy is gonna break it down all in a oh, a, yeah. a beautiful yeah. five minute breakdown of, of everything that's happening. I can't wait to see that. Yes, uh, I'll give you another one here. I I want Twins Jays in October. I have that too. It would yes. be a blast. This yes. the, the the lineups, the personalities, Jose the Jose Barrios factor. Twin, you know, the Twins stuck it to him over the weekend. Uh, the the Jays are good, man. That is a legitimate team, and a five run lead is not safe against that lineup. But it kind of felt like the Twins, if if that call goes the right way at home plate, it's not a guaranteed Twins win because they still have to score. But kind of felt like the Twins got the better of the Jays in this series, and I, I'd love to see those teams in a three game series, ideally at Target Field. Yeah, and the fan the fans who came from Canada were phenomenal. Oh, it was that that was four days of playoff baseball. Mm-hmm. Like the back and forth between the fans, it was absolutely fantastic. And yeah, the Jays are really good. Um, but actually, that leads to my next statement, and that is, this is how we bullpen. This is how we bullpen. In the wins on Friday and Saturday, we started to see a preview of what we want. And it's not always perfection, but we're not expecting perfection or expecting competence, Right. On fr- on uh, Friday, Malley goes um, six and gives up four runs. It then goes Jax Duran, Lopez, who blows the save, Fulmer, they win, and, and across uh, the final four innings of baseball, those four gave up one run. On Saturday, Bundy gives up two and four. Then we go McGill, Fulmer, Theobar, Jax, Duran, Lopez, they give up one run in the final five. Most importantly, on back-to-back days, we got Fulmer, we got Lopez, we got Duran and Jax. Um, it might not always be perfection, but you know what? If you are willing to, and it certainly looks like we're trending here, if you are willing to throw those guys on back-to-back days, I start to trust the process a lot more. Yeah, and Rocco. Yeah, Rocco did say he's you know open open to doing it more down the stretch. But I think yesterday even was because you're going to have games like yesterday where and this dude this might happen in a three game wild card series because you do not get an off day. So you like yesterday you're faced with okay, do we throw these guys some of these guys a third day in a row? Probably not in the early part of August, right? Or do we have to roll with Cole Sands for two and a third? And he did very well yesterday. But all of it yesterday, I know they lost the game. All of it stemmed from Chris Archer giving you five solid innings. 
he has very quietly, I'm not saying he's the MVP of the pitching staff, but he has very quietly been a successful scrap heap signing for them. And he's he's never gone more than five. It's always four or five innings for him, and there's going to be some starts where he gives up like five walks, but he's. I feel like he's dialed it in more as the year has gone on, and if he can just give you five innings, four and two-thirds or five innings, and you, and you can kind of prepare for it two days in advance, he's not going to give you seven. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Um that was exactly what you needed from Chris Archer yesterday to give yourself a chance late in the game. Because if he went two innings, you were screwed yesterday without basically your three best relievers. So, anyway. Look at Judd and I almost in lockstep with uh, with our statements here. Off My second one was, too, I love the twin chances to win a playoff game here. I still love the twin chances, even though they split two against Toronto. I know they melted down with their bullpen usage a little bit, but look... To Judd's point, you're not you're not going to be batting a thousand with that percentage. But do I feel a hell of a lot better with Lopez and Duran in the eighth and ninth, and guys like Michael Fulmer who can come in in a pinch situation who have been there, done that? Yes, I do. The Twins' chances of winning a playoff game, I think, are still legitimate. They went out on the trade deadline. They bolstered their bullpen. They don't have their starters go through five to six innings, and they gave every, they give themselves every chance they can with. Three legitimate bullets now in their bullpen. And look, Toronto's legit, man. To your guys' point, they might see this team in the playoffs. If the Twins win their division, they will be able to host the the first round of the series. So no matter what happens there, even if Toronto has a better record than them, the Twins still do get the division at home. So that's good news. But the Twins' chances to win a playoff game are still pretty good. And I know in Minnesota sports, that's a low bar here. But they haven't won a playoff game in 18 consecutive tries. The Oakland A's swept the Astros like two weeks ago. You're telling me there's not one instance where the Twins can just win a GD playoff game. That's all I care about. Win the playoff game, and I like their chance to do so. Uh, My next twin statement is finally some common sense against the shift. If you noticed early in that game against Kevin Gausman, who the, the Twins did not get the best of this time around like they did the first time around, Jorge Polanco, batting, I believe, left-handed, did kind of a check-swing bunt thing to the open hole where Matt Chapman would have been standing. And he gets aboard on first base, standing ovation from the from the crowd. <laughs> I don't understand why more hitters don't do that. He didn't take a full... No one was asking him to take a full swing against that stuff and try and do a full swing. But if you see a gap, especially if if the gap is on the third base side like that, just take a little check swing. Left-handed hitter, check swing, poke a ball in the left field. It was very intentional. So bravo to Jorge Polanco for showing some common sense against the shift. Absolutely. Big fan. Mm -hmm. Uh, Any other twin statements from you guys? Yeah, I've got one, uh, and it, it's this. The hidden problem of the weekend. So so how do you avoid what transpired at home plate yesterday? It's very simple. In this series, which, by the way, they split, and at times I thought played well. The Twins, with runners in scoring position, were 8 for 44. Yeah, that's mm. awful. 8 for 44, including Friday, when they won, 3 of 15. Saturday, when they won, 3 of 16. Yesterday, 2 of 10. You get a couple more hits. Yesterday, guess what? It probably doesn't come down to that play at the plate. The point is, the point is for all we talk about the bullpen and pitching, and that certainly is important, 8 for 44 with runners in scoring position is not going to cut it for a serious playoff team. Yeah. I got one more here, one more twin. Pour one out for Tyler Duffy. Nice little three-year run. He was legitimately one of the better setup guys in baseball between 2019 and 2021. 
Yep. He's still only 31 years old, and so I, I could see him. Sometimes you just have weird years as a reliever. I, I could definitely see him. He'll latch on somewhere, I'm sure, and uh, I could see him being a, a good late-inning guy again. Now, he's made about $10 million in his life playing baseball so far. It was a good run. I think his Twins career is now bookended by the Toronto Blue Jays lineup, putting yeah. crooked numbers off of him, Jose Batista, about seven years ago. and then Same day, too. Mm. What, the same, I like, saw August? It, same date. Same date. Wow. Oh. His first start in Skydome, awful. His last appearance here were, I saw this tweeted out, the same day. That's pretty amazing. Wow. Maybe it's he should day. just retire at that. Just, just let it be. It's it's kind of brilliant. With $10 million, I'd be like, see you guys later. Bye. Well, he can make more. He he will undoubtedly make seven yeah. figures on his I'm next job. <laughs> I'm going to beach right now. So there's your twin statements here on Mackie and Judd. Let's uh let's tap into the training camp mind of Judd Zolgad here. So uh, maybe, maybe some bonus notes mixed in here to the Viking statements portion of mm-hmm. the Monday Mackie and Judd show. If you missed our deep dive into either uh, the center competition, we did that on Sunday's Purple Daily episode or the current state of the quarterbacks at Camp KOC through two weeks of, of camp. That's that's the Monday episode of Purple Daily. Check those out. But uh, I would like to start you guys off with something that I think I'm actually kind of surprised it took this long for a public appearance. But <laughs> my first statement is Mike Zimmer is alive. <laughs> Mike Zimmer yes. was spotted at Cincinnati Bengals camp yesterday. I'm, I'm sure it's a pretty short drive from uh, his ranch in Kentucky, I think they actually might train in Kentucky, technically, the Cincinnati Bengals. I think I saw that. So he showed up. He was hanging around at practice, just hanging out on the sidelines and yucking it up with certain people. I think that's the first official public appearance. Like, I'm sure people have spotted him at restaurants and stuff, but or like an airport here and there. But I think that's the first time Mike Zimmer has shown his face in public since January. No. I think you're right. And what, his son got a job in as an offensive consultant of some sort yeah. with the Bengals. So he's now, I don't get that, but that's cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And I just, I, I mean, Mike, publicly talk. Good for him. Like, you know, he's texting folks still. To this day, he's texting them. He's threatening to talk, but then he w- wakes up in the morning why, and he why says, I'm he, not going to talk yet. Talk? And I, I'm not comfortable to talk. Here's, I guess my, here's my question. What does he want to do? Like, if he clearly wants to get back into coaching, I get it. Like, to try and be, which I don't know that, that he, he would get a job. But if he wants to be a head coach again, I get the silence. But if he doesn't, just come out, pick your favorite person, and talk to him. I think he, but doesn't, regardless of whether he wants to be a head coach again, certainly if he wants to be a head coach again, but if he, even if he wants to be a coordinator, and he probably still has five more years left of coaching in some capacities, mid-60s. Doesn't he have to break the silence and defend himself? Some of the stuff is probably indefensible and in that there's some learning experiences that he just sure. needs to go through from the last couple of years. But there's also a lot of things out there that they're just painting him. It's like this one-sided barrage for eight months painting him as this terrorist head coach. Mm-hmm. I would think that defending yourself would be the, the natural, prudent thing to do at some point. I don't know. I, I wonder. I think the PR side of him, I, I think it's the right move to stay quiet for a year. Like, really what is the benefit because he's going to have to open up those demons again and have to deal with it i i think actually it's beneficial for him to kind of stay silent and let this really settle in before he wants to bring something up later on i don't think it's necessary he has to get out in, in front of it right now 
but he's allowing himself to be disparaged continually by everyone. And and at some point in time, I mean, you don't have to air it all out, but I feel like you do have to be, be like, hold on a second here. We did a lot of good things there. I, I mean, if nothing else, put a positive spin. I think he's afraid he'll say the truth, but... <laughs> We want the truth on this show, so we can talk about it. And you know what it. he could do? Here, here's what I would do if I were him. Because, and I'm I'm saying this through the prism of Mike Zimmer does not like Kirk Cousins, right? I think that's a correct. That's a thing. So if I were him, I would come out whether it's in a in an article, Tom Pelissero, Peter King, or if 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 I, I know, had a microphone in my face or something, and I would say, listen. Um, Super proud of our eight years in Minnesota. We won some divisions. We went to the doorstep of a Super Bowl, had the number one defense in the NFL in 2017. Mm -hmm. And specifically, if you look at the first four years of what we accomplished between 2014 and 17, something to be very proud of. Things went a little sideways the last four years. Wink. Yeah. Right. But if you really look at the first four years, wink, wink. Right. Really proud of some of the things that we accomplished. Looking forward to my next opportunity in coaching, whenever that may be. Yep. I mean, there's ways to kind of go about it, right? I I also don't think, unless it's some, someone that wants to take a chance of sorts, I also don't think he will be a, a head coach again. Yep. Based on those last four years with Kirk, I don't think you can afford that because this is a league now where if you don't embrace your QB – and beyond Teddy, I don't think Mike ever embraced one. Yeah. And so, but but I mean, coordinator, absolutely. He well, but be a good but one. here, but here, even from like a coordinator standpoint, I think one of the narratives that I will defend him on, he is being painted as a guy that lost his touch defensively because of how bad they were in the two minute drill last year, and and some of this right. stuff is definitely like, yeah, dude, you got to be better as a coach. But Daniil Hunter is one of the best defensive players in the NFL. Did not play in 2020. Coincidence that the defense took a huge step back? Probably not. Mm -hmm. The first seven weeks, the first seven games of 2021, we went through these stats early last week on Purple Daily. Mm -hmm. The Vikings had measurably one of the top seven to nine defenses in the NFL. In terms of pass defense, they were like top three in EPA allowed. They were number one in pressure rate. Yep. And then you took Daniel Hunter off the field for the rest of the season. And then, predictably, the defense collapses. So, I guess what you could say is, hey, if Mike Zimmer doesn't have a great defensive lineman and pass rusher, his defense crumbles. Well, you could say that about pretty much, show me a defensive coordinator or a defensive-minded head coach that if you did, if you took away and put a bunch of backups along the defensive line, that they're going to have anything but a bottom 5 or 10 defense. So, he almost needs to come out and say, listen, I, I have some learning to do, but I firmly believe that if given our health and Daniil Hunter, we still yep. had one of the 10 best defenses in the NFL while you guys were calling yes. me out for losing my fastball. Yes. And I think his best play would, would be don't address the Kirk thing much. Cause like, I, I don't think, I don't think at this point in time, especially since Kirk does not talk, I don't think there's a lot of good that can come from that, but you've got to put a lot of this back on Rick's plate on Spielman. I mean, his drafting wasn't great. And and he'll say, well, Zim won a defense, and I did that. But it's like, okay, but you still made some bad mistakes here, Rick. Um, so, yeah, I think that Mike, I think instead of Mike's PR people or friends saying don't talk, they should say, this is how we need to shape this, and we're going to sit down with Peter King. Mm. You know, mm. that's not going to kill him. Yeah. That's does not does kill Mike him. have, I'm, like, a PR person? I just got hit, just guys. Like his friends. 
I think it's his friends. I just got hit by a bolt of reckless speculation lightning that just oh knocked me backwards. Oh, boy. As Phil was talking. Reckless speculation. Oh, my God. I like, need a nap after this because it hit me so hard. Um, Mike Zimmer, 2023. Defensive coordinator for Sean Payton's Dallas Cowboys. Absolutely. Because Dan Quinn is going to get a job, probably. Now, now Dan Quinn signed an extension, but I think if the right team comes to, to Quinn, and Jerry's not, I don't think he's going to to squat on Dan Quinn, and I don't think he can for a head coaching job. But Peyton and Zim have a weird relationship because they're friends, but they've had some bumps for sure. But you know what? Both guys are, are the type of no BS, I think we want to win, let's go chew some tobacco and kick some ass, guys. And I think that there's a very good chance that Sean Payton gets the Cowboys coaching job and that he brings along Mike as his DC. I could see it. With Jerry. Jerry loves both those guys. Yeah. I could see it. Makes sense. It's definitely more likely Quinn gets that job. I mean, I'm, I'm still on Team Kellen Moore, but it, it, it definitely seems like if, if Jerry had to make a decision, he'd probably lean towards Dan Quinn. But Sean Payton brings makes things a little bit more complicated. Like I would definitely, if I was if I was running a franchise, I would definitely look at Sean Payton before I would give my job my number one choice to Sean Payton before it'd be Dan Quinn. Yeah. Exactly, I love it. Offensive guy, Mike's your defensive guy, Jerry. Oh boy, I can see this. It makes some sense. Yes, this reckless speculation pre- uh, presented by our friends at Nutrisource, the official dog food of Mackie and Judd. So we've we've showed you some video of Maya Mackie very excitedly. Uh, enjoying her Nutrisource. This is Stella Zolgad here, That's sitting right. next to some Nutrisource treats. Look at how happy she looks. Oh, she loves them. She loves them. When I shake th- that bag, I'm going to tell you right now, she's like, oh, my God, it's time. It's time. Her-mugger. It's time. Between between that and her, uh, her uh, breakfast of the chicken and rice recipe, oh, yeah. Stella, very happy these days. Very okay. content. Look at that. Look at that little face. That's the face of a dog that's regular because Nutrisource dog food is all about <laughs> digestion and gut health with their good for life system. Gets your dog the nutrients he or she needs or they for those Tootsie Roll poops that we all come to expect with Nutrisource food. Go to NutrisourcePetFoods.com to find a retailer near you. NutrisourcePetFoods.com. Also a shout out to our friends at Federated Mutual Insurance Company helping to power each and every day of Mackie and Judd and Purple Daily, uh, and helping to power businesses through risk management tools and resources. Federated has over 100 years of experience in helping business owners maximize their level of success. You can find a full list of industries Federated protects at federatedinsurance.com, where it's our business to protect yours. All right, uh, Viking statements. That was kind of an unofficial statement from Judd there. I'll Dutch. go next. Yep, I'll go next. Go right my, my, my statement would be, uh, and I'm, I'm going to actually talk about this with my guy, Realistic Randy, on a whole list of topics, but I'll just do one of them here. Uh, what's the panic meter here? Not to, not to be the classic Zolgad here, but what's, what's the panic meter that we are putting on the Viking center position? So if it's an open competition right now, so Garrett Bradbury might be getting the benefit of the doubt, at least to start the training camp, but now Chris Reed could potentially do it. There was hints at, at a closed-door practice, maybe it was someone else. If the Vikings legitimately don't have a viable starting center going into week one in a season where their offense is supposed to pop, they have a new defensive system coming in, a rookie head coach. What is our, it's more of a question and a statement to both of you guys. What is the panic meter for the Vikings season if their center position is completely up in the air right now? I think right now it's at a DEFCON 3. 
Um, I also think that the word competition was thrown out by O'Connell on purpose, where I don't think it it exists right now. I think there's a competition for the backup job. Um, I think they're doing everything that they can to incentivize Bradbury to understand this is not his job while making it very clear in practice this is his job. Um, I also think that they're probably starting to realize that they miscalculated what they could do. And, and O'Connell said again, when asked extensively about Bradbury on Saturday, he basically alluded to again trying to sort of scheme around Bradbury's deficiencies in the past game. And as, we all, as we've all said, I don't see how you can do that. So I would say it's at a three and rising. And um, I would I also think that if the Vikings right now, if you were to say what position, what key position that they have, would they make a trade at here fairly soon? I think it is center one, two, and three. Well, I mean, let me be optimistic here for a second. Let's say Garrett Bradbury is the starting center and he's just the same guy that we've seen for the last couple of years. Well, the Vikings were still, despite that, and despite an kind of antiquated offensive scheme setup last year, the 14th highest scoring offense in the NFL. So d- despite Bradbury and despite Ole Udo, who's not going to be back at right guard, right? And despite the Clint Kubiak scheme and Mike Zimmer ignoring offense, they were still the 14th highest scoring offense. So keeping Bradbury, not ideal. I do not recommend it, but... All the other things around him being better, the scheme being better, the right guard being better, Kevin O'Connell, more immersed in offensive strategy. They should take a step forward from 14th in points to something higher, 12th, 10th, even if they have a crappy center. But if you want to maximize what you're trying to do here, yeah, you got you got to do something. And I still I'm not I'm not ruling out Chris Reed yet. I think the snaps are a little bit concerning, but it's early in camp still. We haven't even come close to a preseason game yet. And so if he can get the snaps under control, which he has a month to do so, it's not going to happen overnight. Um, I'm curious to see what he looks like as the starting center. So we'll see. And again, DEFCON 3, as we've discussed. I love our DEFCON levels. We might, we might have to mix this into like Mackie and Judd Staple. But a DEFCON 3 is increased in-force readiness above that required for normal readiness, and the Air Force is ready to mobilize in 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, so the Air okay, Force is ready to mobilize right. over the offensive line. So that's line. fair, right? Yeah. They're ready right to rock. Yes. Yep. They haven't that's taken fair. off yet, they, but they're, they are, they're on yeah. alert. They're watching. Yeah. yeah. Maverick, and everyone, Maverick and Iceman, everyone else, they're ready to be in the planes if, if they have to come out there. They're ready to go. Yep. Okay. Uh, here's here's one for you. I don't know if you guys saw this from our friend Kevin Seifert, ESPN.com, but my statement is Vikings cornerbacks are going to have to be a little less handsy this season. So some news this morning from Seifert. The NFL has asked officials to pay particular attention to illegal contact fouls in 2022. Here we go. There was a big drop in them in 2021. In fact, I think the top team had like three illegal contact penalties called. The Vikings had one. But I'll I'll get to a point in a second here. This is classified as a point of clarification, which was formerly known as a point of (laughs) emphasis. He told me about this. It's hilarious. So they used to say, hey, we need to be more fixated on holding. Let's make it a point of emphasis. And people hated that word. Well, are you you're emphasizing? It means you're are you calling more? Right. And the NFL said, well, okay, let's call it a point of clarification. And Kevin says, so there may be more of these called, but we're not really sure. (laughs) So, yeah, there weren't that many illegal contact penalties called last year. But if we want to look at the handsiest defenses, let's look at defensive holding and pass interference, where the Vikings ranked among the most penalized secondaries in the league last year. They had 25 combined 
holding or pass interference, defensive holding or pass interference calls. Now, I think I'm going to get a little football-y on you guys here real quick, all right? Football. I think changing over to more of a zone scheme in the secondary could help with this problem. If you look at the Broncos last year and that you know Ed Donatel influenced Vic Fangio system, the Broncos had half as many defensive holding and pass interference calls, probably because they're not operating one-on-one on an island. Oh, my God, I'm going to get burned. Grab a jersey, right? Um, I, I, my guess is if you were to look around, the, the secondaries that play more zone are probably probably penalized less for holding and grabbing and pass interference. So no, maybe maybe the scheme will help with this problem. Well, and plus point of clarification. So, point of clarification. I love that term now. We're clarifying it, so you can't be mad. We're not emphasizing it. Um, <laughs> with Zim, this would have been like a major problem, right? He'd be ticked off. He'd be like, "Oh, they're trying to screw me again." <laughs> this is why I, I I think it is becoming more and more difficult to have a defensive head coach because this league every year, and I don't blame them. Offense is fun, but every year they they put in something to help the offense. And O'Connell is probably dancing about this. He's probably like, yes, yes, because for every flag against us, there's going to be Thielen and Osborne and Jefferson, right? So so the good thing about an offensive coach is he's going to look at this rule change and be like, how do I exploit it? A defensive coach says, what are they doing to me? Yes. Yep, this all aligns very well for uh, for KOC in the offensive Something special is brewing. That's my statement. Something wow. special is brewing. Saturday's practice, which was, I wouldn't say it was at full speed, but they worked on a lot of things. And this is a no-duh statement, but I want to emphasize what I feel is coming because it's it's special. Justin Jefferson is catching everything. Justin Jefferson is is easily one of, if not just flat out, and he's probably flat out the best player in this camp. Justin Jefferson's first two years were fantastic. But when we talk about him being Cooper Cup, blah, 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 I mean, that all sounds great, right? But what I am seeing, and everyone else is doing pretty well and working hard. But you know special when you see special. I don't care if it's practice. I don't care what it's in. This kid is special and this is going to be I think he is on the precipice of a huge season a huge season yeah I love that he has kind of shown up and decided all right I'm not going to make a big deal out of it but kind of pisses me off that I'm not highly regarded that like people think Jamar Chase is better than me and I'll pay my homage and respect to Devontae Adams and whatever but I think he wants to show and he's 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 very mature about it and he's Cool, calm, collected, yes. but I think he wants to show people in one year from now, now I am the guy in the NFL. I'm the best receiver. I'm the yeah, captain and, now. Yep. And he he does things in practice that are not normal. Like he makes plays in practice. I, I, you sometimes forget when he makes certain plays that he is going against professional athletes himself. Mm, love it. I so love the, I'm just, I'm I'm just opt- saying. Optimistic Judd making an appearance. Oh, you, know, right. you, you know special when you see it. And this is special. This isn't good. This isn't, oh, he might be great. This is, no, he is going into a prime portion of a special career that we as fans and in our jobs need to appreciate. That's, it's a good transition because my state, my next Viking statement is, I'm all good on that. So there was, and this is just a rumor bot uh, tweet that was, that was floated around yesterday, but they said, don't sleep on Odell Beckham coming to the Vikings because of his history with Kevin O'Connell, because of he's still oh. a free agent. But you know what? I'm good on Odell. 
I, I, I don't think this Vikings team necessarily needs Odell Beckham Jr. I think KJ has taken the next step. And I, I don't need to add any more, not necessarily unnecessary drama, because I think Odell Beckham Jr. has cleaned some of that stuff up. But it's not needed. Like, I, when I look at the Vikings team right now, I'm not looking at, oh, what if we got Odell Beckham Jr. with that take? Like we, I just had a question to you guys about the panic meter on the center. I'm more worried about that. I'm more worried about if Kirk Cousins goes down, who the hell the backup quarterback is. It's probably just a rumor. It's probably just a bot tweet, classic one. But I saw it floating around Twitter, and I saw it on Reddit. I'm good on Odell Beckham Jr. You know, okay, I, on one hand, I, I think if he wasn't coming off a knee injury, I would say, dude, if you can, if, if he can be your number two receiver and Thielen bumps to three and K.J. Osborne just kind of sneaks in at number four, I mean, wow, that's one of the best trios of receivers plus K.J. Osborne that the league has maybe ever seen. The knee injury makes me nervous, the timing of it, him kind of trying to rush a comeback here to get back for the regular season. The thing I would be most worried about is... The Odell Beckham Jr. Kirk Cousins vibe. Yeah. The yes. two most polar opposite people and personalities in the NFL yes. having to coexist within this offensive ecosystem. I think it would be a train wreck. Yep. And Odell wants the football. Odell wants football, and that football needs to go to 18, first, second, first, and second, probably 19, third, and 17 after that. Yeah. Like, I, I don't want anybody who who wants the football like I'm the best here. No, yeah. dude, you're not. Like so if if Beckham knew his role in life right now, I think it might work, but the problem is I don't think well, he does. I mean, he he yielded fine to Cooper Cup last year. Now he was traded mid-season and kind of right. got his a slid into something that was on the fly, but I mean, he very, very obviously was not the number 1 receiver with the Rams and yeah, I don't made want it work just fine. I'm with Dex. I don't want to tempt fate here. Yeah, there's probably there's yeah, there's some other things that camp feels good. Camp feels mm-hmm. feels free, refreshing. Let's keep it that way. Uh, any other final Viking statements from you guys here? I got one more. Cut. Don't sleep on Kane. Uh, so Kane Wong will return from a, I believe, leg injury on what it had been Friday or Saturday, and uh, it's very clear. It was very clear quickly that the depth chart is. Cook one, Madison two, Kane three. Um, and so, health provided, I think this guy is definitely going to have some packages designed that use his speed. Um, I, I thought that there m- might be a, a little bit of a, a competition between him and Chandler. I don't think that now. I think that there is a, a feeling that the previous staff, and this is exactly correct, took what is a really fast special player. He's not a full-time guy, mm-hmm. but he is a but he's got but he's got he's got a, a set of special skills. <laughs> and he can use those skills in offensive packages that could definitely wreak havoc on the defense. So, don't sleep on what he might bring outside of his uh kickoff returns on special teams. Love it. Love it. Yeah, he's going to be just kind of a fun little wild card to watch play out here. And uh, we'll probably get some preseason runs. So, all right, there you go. Dex, you have one more. Real quick. Uh, question to Judd. Do you know why Jason Garrett was at Vikings camp over the weekend? Did you see that? Yep, yep. I saw him there. Very nice guy. Very nice. I have no idea how he, he coached because he's too nice a guy. Um, he was there on Saturday along with Peter King doing oh. NBC stuff. And I gotcha. guess I, I was told Garrett did a really good job during the weather delay, during the Hall of Fame game on Thursday, that they had to fill a ton of time, and that Dungy and Garrett like started telling stories and stuff, and it was really good. So nice. perhaps 
he's always struck me as milk dose, but perhaps he, he's got a uh, f- future just as far as the uh, booth goes. But yeah, he was there um, because of his involvement with NBC and Pro Football Talk with him and Peter King. I hope he's good. Sometimes you never know who's going to be a star and a dud. Like I would have thought Drew Brees was going to be a media star. Total dud. Oh, God. He's yep. stuck. But then Joe some Montana? other. Yes. Yeah. Joe Montana. Montana Emmett was Smith, awful. Total dud. Yeah, you're right. But then some other guys like Dan Orlovsky has like yeah. wildly outperformed what you ever would have thought he would be as a media guy. He's entertaining. He's informative. So, all right, there you go. Viking statement. Statements Monday on Mackie and Judd here. If you want uh, daily deep dives into training camp and Judd's notes, check out Purple Daily if you aren't already doing so. And if you could click subscribe on the Score North and Purple Daily YouTube channels, you can help spread the word about this Minnesota sports fan community we are building across Mackie and Judd and Purple Daily. We will see you guys tomorrow on Mackie and Judd.